1: and find somebody looks worse than you. And that's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus said, because you claim you can see, you're blind. If you were blind, you'd be able to see. They wouldn't admit they had a need. They wouldn't admit that they had a need for a Savior. There's some people that actually believe. They actually believe that they're the kind of person, they're a nice person, they're upstanding, respected in the community, and they think they're going to heaven because of that.
0: God sent His Son to earth to save us from our sins. We couldn't do it on our own. If there was any other way, God would have done that instead. In today's message, Pastor Danny remarks on how haughty it is when somebody believes that they're going to heaven just because they're a good person. Then why did Jesus have to die? There's nothing that you can do to save yourself from your sin. You can't live a life good enough, or pray hard enough, or do enough good works. Jesus is the answer. Turn to him and be saved. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 John chapter 1 as he begins his message, communion with God. To every nation
1: 1 John chapter 1. If you're interested, uh, John, uh, the one penning this, um, is John the Apostle. Uh, He is an older saint when he pens this epistle. He has been banished to the island of Patmos for his faith in Jesus Christ. While he is there, uh, he receives what we know now as the book of the Revelation. Thank God for that. While he is in... uh, Banishment on Patmos, lots of things are happening back in uh, Jerusalem. Titus and the Roman army have come in and ransacked Jerusalem. John, after his suffering on Patmos, most scholars believe, went back to Jerusalem, but he wasn't able to live there. And so he moved to Ephesus. And most believe that he penned this little epistle from the city of Ephesus as an older man, an older saint. More than once, he refers to his readers as dear children. There's that fatherly pen, dear children. And here's what the Lord has to say to us through the pen of the Apostle John. Chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and our hands have touched... This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now pause there for a minute. I don't want to assume everybody knows what he's talking about. More specifically, who he's talking about. When he pens the gospel according to John in chapter 1, he starts out this way. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And then in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus became flesh and that he was the light of men. That's very interesting in light of what John has to say to us here. It took quite a while for those even closest to Jesus, like John was, to really come to terms with exactly who Jesus is. That he's God in human form. You say we, he says, we saw him. We touched him. The word of life. Verse 2, the life appeared. We've seen it, testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. I never get tired of telling it. You might get tired of hearing it, but I was 19 years old. I nailed in my front yard I asked God to forgive me. I asked Jesus to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And guess what? God forgave me, and Jesus became my Lord and Savior. I get a little giddy because the feeling and what happened that night, when I knelt in my front yard, and I'm, and I'm weeping, and I'm asking God to forgive me because I've been, well, been living like hell. I've been living the way I wanted to live. I was a drug addict. I, I, just, I was a party animal. And I knew, I knew. I mean, I'd grown up. uh, Jesus lived in my grandmother. Jesus lived in my mother. They're with the Lord now. And I knew about Jesus Christ. I believed the Bible. But, man, you know, for years, I've been living doing what I wanted to do. I mean, partying hard. (laughs) And now God was able to get a hold of my heart, knelt in my front yard. And I I said, Go, God, forgive me, Jesus, would you come into my life? And He did. He did. And man, just, just like that. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all the guilt I've been carrying, gone. All of a sudden, just like that, all of a sudden, the, the separation I felt from God, all of a sudden, me and God, we're like, we're, we're tight, we're tight. It's like he's right there. He's right there. He's right there. And I was bubbling over. With joy. I had peace. I had joy. And it was the kind of peace that the Bible says, the peace that passes all understanding. You see, you can't explain it to somebody. You can't explain. You can't write it down and say, here's what I felt. Here's what happened. No. You have to have somebody that had experienced the same thing. If you've experienced the same thing at some point in your life, you know what I'm talking about. And John is writing to people And they know what he's talking about. And he says, we write this to make our joy complete. I've been saved longer than I was lost. I've been trying to live for Jesus longer than I didn't live for him. But I'd like to be able to say every single day of my Christian life, since I was 19 years old, knelt in my front yard, I'd like to say I've been bubbling over with joy. I can't say that. And there's several reasons for that. I mean, the devil wants to rob you of the joy and he'll he'll do everything he can to try to rob you of your joy. If you lose sight of heaven and you just get focused here, you you lose your joy. Because Hebrews says about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. See, Jesus kept looking forward. If all Jesus saw was the cross, no joy in that. No, he saw beyond the cross. He saw going back home to his father, and his father saying, good job. (laughs) You you completed the mission. But there's another thing that can happen, and it's happened to me. It's happened more than once. And it'll it'll cause you to lose your joy. King David, after his sin with Bathsheba and the subsequent sins that followed and his cover-up, he tried to cover it up, and and he, he, he did for a period of time. Till Nathan the prophet pointed his finger in his face and said, you're guilty, dude. You're guilty. And he wrote that psalm. A psalm of repentance. And in the psalm, you know what David says? Among the other, all the things he said, you know what one of the things he says was? He said, oh God, restore unto me the, here it is, the joy of thy salvation. He lost the joy. Why? Because he got involved in sin and he tried to hide it and for years he hid it and it wasn't until he he came out in the open after the prophet said hey dude you you're the man you got a problem and David said you're right (coughs) I did he was contrite before the Lord he was repentant before the Lord God restored him John writes about this challenge right here. Look at verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now just stop and think about that. I mean, you can just chew on that on an evening, just that one verse. You're not a speck of darkness in God. He's light. Speaks of his holiness, his, his sinlessness, and his, his Perfection. Etc., etc. There's not even a shadow. God reveals shadows, but there's no shadows in Him. Verse 6 If we claim to have fellowship with Him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. You know what that is? That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. That's what He's talking about. We claim to have fellowship with Him. Hey, good to see you, brother. Praise the Lord. Great to see you at church. And you, you could say that. You could say that. And if we, if we were able to follow one another 24-7 between now and next Sunday, a lot of National inquiry kind of stuff, baby. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. And there are things done in secret. There are things done in people's lives. I mean, people that attend church regularly. Hypocrisy. What a stupid argument for somebody to say, I don't go to church, there are too many hypocrites here. Well, where else would you find a hypocrite? That's where they are in the church. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. But he goes on. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now stop and think about that. It seems like there he's talking about Pharisees. The Pharisees, Jesus had the most difficult time with the Pharisees because the Pharisees, they claim they can see. What they meant by that was uh, they didn't feel they needed a Savior because they're not only Jewish, but they're following the law of Moses. And they look around at the the pagans in the world, you know, and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners, and they're not like them. I mean, these guys are fasting twice a week. They're giving a tenth of all they get. Uh, They're following all the religious rules. On the outside, the dish is clean, man. On the outside, you go, woo. Wow, they're clean, but it's a real problem. Real, you got a real problem when only you're only comparing yourself with other people, <laughs> because you can always find, find somebody who looks worse than you, and that's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus said, "Because you claim you can see, you're blind. If you were blind, you'd be able to see." They wouldn't admit they had a need. They wouldn't admit that they had a need for a savior. There are some people that actually believe. They actually believe that they're the kind of person, they're a nice person, they're upstanding, respected in the community, and they think they're going to heaven because of that. They really believe it. The Pharisees believed it. You read Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. They sought to establish their own righteousness, and they didn't get the righteousness of God because they sought to establish their own. They thought they were good enough. Nobody's good enough for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody's good enough. Nobody. We claim to be without sin. We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Ah, but if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Now, what that verse sounds like to me, he's going a bit deeper. Now, it sounds like he's talking about somebody, there is sin in their lives, but they're keeping it hidden, and when they get confronted, they just deny it. And the word has no place because they don't want to stop. They don't want to stop what they're doing because they're enjoying it. And so the word doesn't move them, doesn't change them, because they're going to keep on doing it. Chapter 2, look what he says. My dear children, there he goes, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. He's talking about hidden sin, habitual hidden sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Oh, man. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You catch the gravity of that? You catch the weight of that? You you talk about a defense lawyer. When nobody else can get you off, he can get you off. When nobody else will forgive you, he'll forgive you. You can sin against your wife in such a way you end up divorced. Even as a Christian, you have a hard time forgiving what they did to you. You have a hard time. And when men won't forgive you, guess what God will? You talk about a defense lawyer. You can't get a better one. And he doesn't even charge you. Here's what he says. You come into his office, he said, put it on my tab. I took it all. I paid it all. But here's the challenge. We don't come clean naturally. We we don't easily come clean. You know why. I don't know if it ever really happened, but there's a story that goes, and lots of pastors have told the story, but it's a good one. It says, Pastor went out one Saturday to visit church members at one house. It was obvious that someone was home, but nobody came to the door, even though the preacher knocked several times. Finally, the preacher took out his card, wrote out Revelation 3.20 on the back and stuck it in the door. Maybe you don't know it. Well, it goes like this. It's Jesus and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. So pastor wrote that on his card, stuck it in the door. Sunday, next day, They're at church, and the card that he left at the door, on the door, turned up in the collection plate. And below the preacher's message was written the following notation. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. (laughs) And now the pastor understands why nobody came to the door. You know where that comes from, don't you? Genesis chapter 3. It's right there, the opening pages of the Bible. It's the first man, the first woman. They're married. God married them. Their names are Adam and Eve. God had told them, uh, you can enjoy paradise, and you don't even have to wear clothes. And they didn't. There was nothing wrong with it. And there they are, in paradise, Naked. Running around, you know, pineapple, bananas. There's all kind of wild animals, but they're not wild. You talk about an amazing world. You've got the most beautiful woman in the world to be your wife. She's the only woman in the world. She, she's, she's, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. But you got to know, she had to be a knockout. I mean, the way Adam looked at her and said, whoa, man. and That's what we'll call her, whoa, man, woman. And they're they're just living it up. We don't know how long, but it was before Eve could conceive her first child, and God had commanded them, be fruitful and multiply, and so nothing preventing her from getting pregnant. But before she can get pregnant, man, things go south. God said you can eat from any of the trees in the garden. One tree, one tree. Now, if I was going to God's board of directors, I would have suggested the tree be put way back in the corner of paradise where you can't find it, you know. (laughs) You know, God talked about that tree. Well, I've never seen the tree. He put that thing way out. No, he put it right in the middle. Right there in the middle. It's right there. And he told Adam and Eve, you can eat of all the other trees. You can have have at it, but this one tree. The day you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And then the serpent shows up. And he plants doubt. And the record goes like this, Genesis 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. And made coverings for themselves. Every time I read that, because we had a fig tree in our backyard, and it was very productive after my grandmother put my pony's poop around it because it was dying. And that thing shot up, and after a while, I could climb in that fig tree. And we had figs coming out of our ears. They made fig jelly and fig preserves, and we had figs. But I'm telling you what, the fig leaves on that tree got so big And I know what fig leaves feel like, and I don't know if you've ever felt a fig leaf, but it ain't fruit of the loom. (laughs) And when you read that Adam and Eve covered themselves in fig leaves, you know they were in a hurry. And they covered themselves with fig leaves. Verse 8, And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And you have to believe this was a regular occurrence because they walked with God. They fellowship with God. But on this occasion, he comes, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You can just see them. Eve, come on. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> and, they're, and, they, and they're hiding. They're hiding from, from God. <laughs> Remember playing hide and seek? Wonder where they are. And, you know, you see your little kid, you know, and they're scrunched. I wonder, I wonder if they're over here, you know. You just kind of play the game with them. But you know where they are. God knows where they are. God knows where they are. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? The question is not for God. God's not saying, I wonder where he is. No, no, he knows where he is. question is for Adam and Eve. Where are you? I am not saying it self-righteously at all, but I'm telling you, I'm so happy. When the question is asked me, where are you? I can tell you, because I couldn't say this five years ago. I couldn't say this six years ago. I have nothing to hide. I'm not touching the money of the church. I never have. I got nothing hidden from my wife. I don't view other things to try to get satisfaction sexually. I love my wife. And thank God, I'm not going to Jesus and Budweiser anymore. Hallelujah. Listen, when you're hiding, there's something wrong. Something's not right if you've got something in your life and you've got to keep it hidden. Where are you? <laughs> and he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. I was afraid. Note that. I was afraid. He's afraid what God's going to do because he knows he's messed up. What's God going to do? I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. But here's the, here's the million dollar Question. You read the story. You keep reading. And, and he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, look, that is not a trick question. It's straightforward. Have you disobeyed? Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And we all know what the right answer is. Here's the right answer. It's one word. Yes. Yes! We come alive
0: as we are filled with the living word, a fruit lies, so we can fully rest in your truth. Thanks for joining us today on the Living Word. In this series called New Testament Highlights, Pastor Danny has been unpacking how time and time again the truth of God's Word shines brightly into a dark world. The New Testament highlights that Jesus' life and ministry was a shining light into the Roman oppressed nation of Israel. In addition, the bright testimony of the apostles amidst opposition proved that there are always opportunities to be light in a dark world. Are you sinking into despair about the heaviness that surrounds you with the events and circumstances that seem to get worse? You might wonder if there's any end in sight. Well, keep your chin up, and keep your eyes fixed on the promises of God. He'll never leave you, and that can be a shining beacon of hope. We trust that this teaching has given you a renewed sense of what to live for and what's to come, as you're reminded of other people who are great examples of living out their faith. If you'd like to hear this message again, you'll find it at ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll be able to stay up to date on the latest things happening and know when new videos are uploaded. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Living Word.